Zhou, and welcome to the Hmong Mental Health Podcast, where we encourage you to talk about mental health because it does exist in our community. We invite you to join us on this journey toward understanding and bettering our holistic well-being. We are your hosts from Vanguard Mental Health and Wellness Clinic. My name is Dr. Alyssa Kaying Vang. I am Mozi Tao. I am Chu Her. And I'm Hua Vang. We want to take a moment to remind our listeners that this podcast does not replace professional help. So if you are struggling with your mental health, please find a provider who specializes in treating mental health symptoms so that you can receive the ongoing support you need. Hello, welcome to our very first podcast. I cannot express how excited I am to be doing this because for me, this idea has been impressed in my heart for quite a while now. And so I'm excited to have you all here today. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts and feelings on this being our very first episode as well. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, I think this is something that we've been needing in our community a lot. And I think this is just a great opportunity as therapists and professionals for us to be able to just have that conversation about mental health that sometimes we don't get a chance to do outside of our clinic office. Yeah, I definitely agree with both of you. And I'm also really excited to be having these conversations. Yeah, so this is the time. The timing is now, especially post-COVID, where mental health is just at the forefront of most conversations. And so it is really time for us to bring it to our community. But this episode is a prelude to our season, Healing the Self. This particular episode is an introduction to what's to come, especially because there's many, many layers to mental health in the Hmong community, like cultural layers, beliefs, practices, these layers that are complex and that requires us to unpack when we're talking about mental health in our Hmong community. And before we get to that, though, I think that our listeners would love to know a little bit about all of us. And for me, what's so cool about our team here is that we all provide mental health services, but have gone through different training programs and have very different licensures, which means that we all bring a diverse and different lens to this podcast. So I'm going to start with you, Chu. Uh, You have a license in marriage family therapy, and you've been doing this work for quite some time. Can you share a little bit about how you got into this field? Yeah. So I've been doing therapy or, you know, been practicing this field for about six years now. And I got into this field because growing up, I saw the way how our culture went about dealing with marriage problems. And a lot of times, you know, it seemed to work. And then sometimes it didn't work, or most times it didn't work either. You know, it just didn't seem like it was a viable solution, especially with our culture and generations changing now. And so that's what really got me into marriage and family therapy. How do we really improve families so that our children can have better futures? Yeah, definitely. I think that when we moved to the United States and with some of the different factors of the dominant society, there are changes as well that really highlights what used to work doesn't work anymore. And so it's wonderful that you are in this field to really adapt some of the Western models into 
our Hmong culture in order to support our families and our couples. How about you, Hua? You have a license in social work, and you've been doing this for some time as well. What is your story about how you got into this field? Yeah, so I've been practicing social work for the last eight years. However, I've been doing therapy for the last three years here. And so I think what really got me into this field was it really stemmed from my passion for the Hmong community. And I never knew growing up that I could feel passionate about being Hmong. And so being tied to that, thinking and reflecting back on my upbringing and seeing how my parents were always so giving and helping the community, it really motivated me and inspired me to also want to give back to the community as well. Yes, definitely. Being a mental health provider is about giving back to our clients and our community. And so we really do have to have that passion in order to not get burned out. And you, Mozi, you have a master's in psychology. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey into getting into this field? Getting into the field of psychology for me uh, was about helping generations improve their overall life quality, but a little bit more from a mental health perspective. In my work in the past with the community, for me, it was always about trying to improve generations, one generation to the next, and improving those and making them better. But for me, oftentimes mental health is the forgotten portion of our individual health. And for me, getting into this field was a hopeful journey into getting and helping people prioritize mental health. Whether it is the grandma, grandpa who has age and has diminished health or the adult in midlife dealing with stressors of life, or even the teenager who is learning to navigate this world and discovering themselves. Far too often, mental health is that component that is lost in our life journey. So that's how I got into mental health, and that's the kind of way I'm trying to move forward with mental health. Wonderful. Thank you. It sounds like there's a lot of intentionality with that journey, which only benefits the clients that we serve. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I think I'm kind of the old one here. I've been doing this work for over 20 years, and I actually went to college to study business and economics. I realized that I really didn't enjoy it. And when I took Psych 101, I flourished in it. It was just so intriguing to me. And that was when I was able to reflect upon my own childhood experience growing up and being interested in human behaviors naturally, so that if I was to go to the shopping mall, I would spend much of my time contemplating over why people wear what they wear. So these were things that helped me to sort of come to this reckoning of what I'm naturally interested in, what I'm naturally passionate in. And it also helped me to think back to interpreting for my mom at a medical appointment. And back then, we didn't have the number of interpreters available as we do now, nor were they licensed interpreters. So children were often used as interpreters. And I remember she was complaining about her head. And I remember the gestures that she engaged in to communicate to the doctor how painful her headaches were. And Thinking back on that, I think it was more of a um, somatic symptom of perhaps mental health struggles. So all of this are multifactored reasons as to what led me to this profession that I'm currently in. 
Okay. So the other question is, um, I'm curious, since all of you have been in this field for some time and doing this work for some time, whether there's a common statement or belief that you've heard from our Hmong community about mental health. I think for me, the one that often comes to mind is the idea that mental health does not exist in the Hmong community. From a generation perspective, we often think that our parents don't do well with mental health or they don't talk about mental health. But lately, I've been challenged myself to think about whether or not it doesn't exist or whether or not it does exist, but we just don't identify with the way and the differences mental health look across from our parents who were refugees and immigrants to a new country or to our children here who are being born in a very American individualized um, society. So for me, starting to think about we're going from that collectivist society to that individualistic society where maybe it does exist boundaries and everything does exist, but just in a way where we don't recognize and understand it to be. Yeah, Mosey, I just kind of want to bounce off of that because, you know, the most common statement we always hear is, or but we don't seek professional help in our community. We don't see that, oh, is the beginning to the mental health struggles that we're experiencing. And so I think that's where that notion comes from that, hey, mental health doesn't exist. However, we're able to communicate that. And that can look a lot of different ways. It could be, I'm stressed, I'm anxious, I'm feeling down. But we have this common statement of which can entail so much about our mental health. And I think that's what we see a lot in our community. And, and individuals never go into depth about what that looks like because it might entail, hey, I'm going to air out my d- dirty laundry. And you know how our community is so protective of our identity and we don't want the community or other shandao to know what's happening within us because we might be judged or, you know, um, others might talk badly about us. And so we choose to endear that pain and that trauma that we experience alone. Yeah, and I wonder, in addition to the stigma around that, that you're naming Hua, is also that Nyoshia that you named as well, which is very broad and, and gets normalized to be where it's just part of life. So we just cope with it. And, and there really isn't this element of it being a condition in which we have to talk about, in which we must address, in which we must treat. And yet what we're realizing is that carries a, another element that is severe, right? And now we're coming to understand it as and so there's a distinction between and now. And I think when we provide maybe the language that you're talking about that didn't exist, it helps, hopefully it helps others to say, oh, what I'm going through is life stressors, or what I'm going through is more chronic and more severe. It becomes a condition by which I must seek help. So I think that has not existed in the community prior to us coming to America and having mental health providers like us to make that distinction so that people can say, I'm suffering from this condition, I need to seek help. Because what traditionally I know that happens is, 
people think of and that's where the stigma comes from. Yeah, I think there is such a lack of words in our community when it comes to mental health that it really it does create barriers, I think, sometimes for people to seek that help too. But yeah, it's a lot of times when you hear people saying like, oh, maybe, you know, right? a lot of times people are like, well, I don't want to be labeled as like vu or I don't want people to know. It's like you said that I that I need um, that support. Right. But that's, I think, one of the biggest misconceptions or things that we've heard a lot in our community is they don't want to have a label because I think that we as a community, we we stick on to those labels, whether or not they're true. Right. And and Chu, you also mentioned barriers. I think that research-wise, it's been said that the Hmong do not seek mental health services because of barriers. And in doing this work for this long, I agree with that. But what I'm noticing is it's not so much that there are barriers to mental health treatment now, but it's that the Hmong people, exactly what you guys are saying, that the Hmong people don't fully understand mental health services because of stigma, because of lack of language. Um, and so they're not investing in mental health services because they don't understand it. Because what I've observed is that and it's because they believe in those healing practices. So when they believe in those healing practices, then they're willing to invest the time, the money, and the resources to it. And so I hope that in having this conversation and, and inviting people to have this conversation and to listen in, that we will begin to pivot in the way that we think about mental health services and how it can be helpful to our Hmong community. I agree. I think the biggest thing is the education piece because we don't know what we don't know. And these services weren't around back then, right? Like you said, Dr. Alyssa, that's what our parents, our ancestors have always known. And so that's easy for them or more convenient to access and reach out to. Yeah. And so the more education we're able to provide to the community, especially to the Laute, I think it can kind of open that door of, hey, this is another avenue for healing for me. For sure. Any other common statement or belief that you've heard from the Hmong community that you'd like to kind of bring to the forefront here as we're processing some of the fundamentals of mental health? In addition, I think <clears throat> there's a stigma sometimes that we just don't talk about mental health. And as much as that is true, I think it really goes back to what you guys are saying here, um, a lack of understanding, a lack of education, not having the perfect word to say mental health or how we use nyoshia as a catch-all. We, I think, have to do a better job sometimes of just having a conversation and knowing and understanding that it's not black and white. It's not mental health or no mental health, right? It's not depression or not depression, but then there's that gray area, right? I think to add to that, too, I think, you know, something 
that we've all kind of talked about in some shape or form around stigma is that there's shame to a lot of shame behind um, mental health or having a diagnosis in the sense that like if if you're a parent and you have a child who needs support yeah there might be that shame behind oh my child's fine my child's normal yet we recognize hey they could be seeking all these other resources or these supports within schools or the community to help them so that they can stay on track too but then because there's this layer of shame we choose to say that our kid's okay and so we push that under the rug, and then they have challenges later on, too. Yeah, the, the notion of shame is so big in our community, in our culture, and it's very much a part of our collectivist practices. And I think that's why this podcast exists. We don't want to spend all of our time talking about the barriers and the stigma. We want to dive a little bit deeper to talk about what contributes to the sense of shame? And how do we help our community understand where this source of shame is coming from? How do we help them to understand how to manage through or work through that shame so that it doesn't hold them hostage to some of the things, some of the goals that they want to achieve? So that's just an example of some of the things that we will uncover in this podcast. And so what this podcast is, is that it will allow us to dive deeper into how our personal, our interpersonal, our social, and familiar experiences can impact us. And hopefully that will help us to understand ourselves better and understand the world around us better from an emotional and psychological perspective. So what we're also really wanting to do with this podcast is normalize these types of conversations around mental health so that it doesn't feel shameful or stigmatizing. Also, a very important component of this podcast is to help us learn new skills to manage our mental health differently. What this podcast will not do, aside from this introductory episode, is that we're not going to cover some of the basic topics about mental health, like what is mental health, and what does health and healing look like in the Hmong community. We may reference it, like we did in, in this conversation thus far, but that is not the focus of our podcast I also know that some community members have expressed an interest in learning more about specific mental health diagnoses. For example, maybe wanting to understand what postpartum depression is and what it looks like in our home community, what autism is, what are the signs, how to seek services, what are the resources. And that's really important. However, it's not going to be the focus of this first season Okay, so this first season, we want to focus on a topic that I feel is pretty foundational to our overall mental health, and that is healing the self. We've already shared a few of our thoughts with some of our introductory promo videos as to why it's important for us to start off the season focused on the self. But I wonder if you guys could elaborate a little bit more on why you believe this is critical to opening, launching this podcast with the whole season dedicated to self-healing? I think for me, um, the purpose of self-healing and um, why it's so cool for us to start 
our seasons with that is um, as human beings, we tend to be so social, right? We have um, friends, we have family, we have the work environment. We have all these places we must show up. And as, as the Hmong community, as we are part of that, a lot of the times individually, we need to see how we show up and if, whether we are being our authentic self. I think starting with the self-healing season one here, it gives us this opportunity to talk about all the aspect of being authentic, how we show up and how we can focus on ourselves and be able to present ourselves the way we want people to see us. I think, um, yeah, self-healing is so important because it's like you said, Mosey, it, it really is about uh, showing up as, up as your authentic self. And um, I think for me personally, I think that um, you can only show up authentically as yourself if you have a better understanding of yourself as well. And I do really believe that that's the core of self-healing, right? How much do you know about yourself? How much do you understand about yourself in a way that when you show up in the community or in whatever setting you are, you know, do you know like the interactions that are happening, like what's going on with you that is causing you to show up the way that you are. And if you can understand more about that process for yourself so that you can show up in a way that you feel most proud of, even on your worst days. Yeah, and, you know, kind of going back to that topic of collectivism, right? We, especially for being like among women in the community, is that our a lot of our decisions that we choose really has, there's a reputation behind it. And so what we decide to do, you know, there's, you know, it shows up in a lot of ways, right? Or, you know, thinking about the world we live in is always so fast paced. We're socially conditioned every day by the media, by people we see, how we should act, how we should live, that sometimes we forget who am I or who am I really? And sometimes when we don't know our true self or have a good, a strong sense of our own identity, we might be confused in a sense of, am I doing this for my parents? Am I doing this because society wants me to? What do I really want? Now I don't know what I want. And that can become really, create a lot of internal conflict within ourselves. And so that's why I think this season and dedicating it to self-healing is really powerful because, you know, having a strong sense of ourself is going to be one of the most one of the biggest protective factors, I think. So I'm curious, though, I think the three of you mentioned components that are really critical to who we are in this day and age, the sense of self, the authentic self. But if we think about it from a cultural perspective, just take away the westernized view of the sense of self, how does a Hmong person traditionally define authentic self? Like in our culture, right, where we're supposed to make decisions for the better of the group rather than ourselves. We're supposed to help others because that interdependence is so huge. So where does the sense of self fall into that type of cultural practice? Where does the sense of self exist within that? And, and, and is that part of the struggle here? Is why we are 
having this conversation. There's so much in what you said to unpack there. I think as a Hmong man, like how do Hmong men show up, right? And it's, it's very difficult, right? We are supposed to be leaders. We are supposed to be at times emotionalness, right? We can't cry. We're supposed to be able to do everything. We're supposed to be able um, to lead families, to lead communities. Our grandparents' generation, our parents' generation, that Hmong man looked very, looks very different than in my generation or even in my children's generation it's going to look different. Um, so when we are asked to step into community and be like, who are you, right? There's expectations that we must try to step into to be like our parents and to try to be them is hard. You lose that version of yourself. So I think that's where a lot of the challenges come from. It's like we have all these cultures and all these differences we're trying to blend and it's a very difficult question. And for everyone, it probably looks different. But at the end of the day, the question is, what are you comfortable with? Who are you? And how do you see yourself showing up? So what I'm hearing is that there might be two distinctive thoughts around the authentic self and self-love if we embedded it within the cultural framework. Because the authentic self could be that if I embrace the value of being the dutiful son, that's my authentic self. But that's very different than self-love, right? Because if you think about that authentic man in that example, and that's just one example, how does self-love show up for that man? What does self-love look like? Because does, this, does the notion of self-love get lost within our traditional cultural practice? I think that self-love gets lost in our own identity, yeah. As like, as being a nya, as being itu niche, or, you know, a mother, right? We're tied to those identities, which then ties us to how we value ourselves. So in that sense, then it just becomes, okay, if I love my kids or, you know, back to what you were saying, Mosey, if I love my parents, my in-laws, if I love my husband, they'll reciprocate that love back to me. And that's enough for me. Yeah. But I think it's because this concept of self-love is pretty new to us because we live in such a dichotomous world where it's like, okay, you can't love yourself because if, or like if you love yourself, that means you can't love other people. Or if you love other people, then you can't love yourself. Mm. This black and white, yes and no dichotomous idea is what makes a lot of things in our life clear. Mm. And so that's what makes life feel easy when we, when there's clarity. But to be the concept of can I love myself and my family, that gets a little blurry. Yeah. <laughs> and so when there's that blur, then it's like, no, we can't do that. You have to love your family only. And what you're saying is that there is a gray. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're going to sort through in this podcast is where can you be okay within the gray? That it doesn't have to be but that there could be in this situation, I have to prioritize me and I have to know who I am in order to thrive and to succeed. And in that situation, I need to be comfortable enough in my sense of self that I can prioritize them and not feel like I'm losing myself. 
I mean, I think that there's a lot of value in self-love, Louis the King, and you spoke on it, which is that, you know, it's it's kind of like what we all talked about is you have to understand yourself more, right? Because if you understand yourself and you're going to an event that you don't even want to go to, maybe you feel obligated, but you can look at it from a different perspective of understanding yourself and say, well, maybe I feel somewhat obligated and I'm also, you know, making this choice because I see the benefits of it for me. The more you understand yourself and why you make the choices that you do, the more you're going to have peace when you do something. And I think that that is what self-healing, self-love is all about, right? It's about finding that peace and finding that place where you're not shaming yourself because whatever decision you make there's going to be some form of judgment already from our community or from other members or whoever it is. And so if you can be at peace with the decision that you make and understand yourself why you do what you did, then, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, like you you did what you needed to do for yourself. But it doesn't mean, though, that just because you did something for yourself that you're shutting the community off too. I think that that's where a lot of times people get confused it's also then there's that extra layer you have to work through of like, not everybody is gonna, you know, agree with the decisions you make. And that that's something that they have to own up for themselves too, right? Their feelings about your decisions you're making. It's not about you trying to make them feel better because of what you're doing too. So it's, it's, it's very complex. Like saying it now, it sounds really easy, but you know, like when you're in, when you're doing therapy and when you're going through this process, it's, it's complex because there's more layers to it than just a yes or no answer. Like do it for yourself and then, you know, you'll work through it, but it's, it's a lot. So yeah, I'm just putting that out there. Cause I don't want people to be like under the misconception that, Oh, like, you know, I'll just do it for me. And then if they don't understand it, they'll just have to work through it. But it's, Yes, there's that and there's more layers to it. And that's why we spoke about like this isn't a replacement for therapy, right? Because there's more complexity to it. And I think that's where the value of loving yourself in the Hmong community, even though it's this new idea, it's very interesting because when we talk about the stages of change, right? Within a family or within a community, everybody falls in a different place. There are some of us who may have already taken to the idea of of loving yourself, meaning you prioritize yourself, meaning your choices are different. But then there's a part of the community or part of a family or part of a group where it's like, no, we're still very collectivist. You can't choose yourself over the family. And and the challenge sometimes is, is where are you in that that cycle of change? Yeah, so self-healing doesn't necessarily mean loving yourself or prioritizing yourself first. Self-healing is looking through the lens of what that means specific to who you are based on your values, based on your life experiences, based on your family dynamics, based on your birth order, based on your trauma history, based on your hard wiring of whether you're more sensitive or less sensitive. And so all of that gets factored in to the mental health journey. That's really what this is about. What is that lens that really informs how we look at the world? That's why this first season, we are really inviting our listeners to step into the space of vulnerability 
to step into the space of being open to explore for themselves and to self-reflect who they are as an individual and does that ground them? Does that feel authentic and does that give them peace? And if it doesn't, what can they do about that? And so as we end this podcast, really kind of setting the tone for the next episode, I'm wondering what words of encouragement you might want to share to our listeners as they prepare for this season's podcast. I think for me, the word of encouragement is be open. Be open to your feelings. Be open to where these conversations might take you. Be open to conversations in your own life with your family, your friends, your partner, your loved ones about this and and have a conversation. This podcast or these podcasts is not for you to just listen, but to also partake in a conversation, whether that is taking it with you and your group of friends or family, but be willing to explore where this might take you. I think for me, I would like listeners to just also, like Mosey said, be open, be curious, let it be. That phrase of when you're listening and you're finding that you're curious about something or you're wondering, sometimes it's okay to just be in the moment of it and not try to think too much about it or try not to, you know, look into it. Because sometimes I think like, well, for me personally, like when I listen to podcasts, sometimes I'm like, oh, that sparked a thought. And then I would be like, I need to do something immediately right away. And I have to remind myself like, no, just let it be right. Like this is kind of what you're in the moment how you're feeling in the moment and see how it kind of rides itself out. And if it's still on your mind, then maybe it's something to continue to be curious about where maybe that's the time when you might want to choose to do something about it. So just because it's a first reaction doesn't mean you have to do like react on it right away is what I'm thinking. Yeah, I think one thing I want to encourage our listeners is, you know, similarly to what you said, Mosey, is having an open heart and an open mind. Um, to learn about yourself because we're every day we're learning more about ourselves and we're also unlearning too and I think this is a space where we can take time to ourselves yeah I also want to highlight a little bit this openness being open to self-care, being open to sitting with new ideas, being open to sitting with ideas that spark or resonate with us. And in addition to, to that, to be mindful of examples of what being open has transpired or has resulted for some people. So what I mean by that is that as we adapt and as we make the United States our home for those of us who live in the United States, that in order to survive, we have to be open. In order to be successful, we have to be open to some of the changes that opens new doors for us. And we have to trust that that openness is going to shift our mindset so that new opportunities might come our way to give us newfound experiences that might heal us. And so we see that with the most recent examples of uh, Hmong men and women 
who are accomplishing great things for their countries. There are many Hmong people who are rising to be at the national and at the global level where they're well known for their accomplishments, for their trade. And that's because we've had to be open to a different mindset. We had to adapt. We have to pivot and change. And so this is really what we're talking about is when you look at individuals who have succeeded way beyond what our grandparents, what our parents, what our great-grandparents could ever imagine for us but only dreamed about, and now we're seeing that success, what was needed for that accomplishment to be made? And I personally think it's the openness to change and the openness to think about letting go of things that no longer work for us and learning new things that can take us into the next century. Well, so with that, we thank you all for listening to us today and we want to invite you to join us again for our next episode. Thank you so much. 